wake up with the sun And struggle through the day And every passing moment Watch a lifetime slip away And never wonder why we... Before, uh, before I go anywhere with this, please go to the YouTube channel right now. Please go to the YouTube channel and go subscribe. We've got all these followers on Instagram. It's been the best thing ever. You guys are amazing. But please go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. And share videos on YouTube. Send those YouTube videos to people. And go get them to subscribe. Uh, we've got an amazing Instagram following now. The community is growing. The fire rises. We just got to get more people on the YouTube. Instagram's censoring the crap out of me, man. I don't know. It's weird. I didn't think that really happened. I didn't believe anybody when they said that happened, but... The Instagram is making it hard to uh, hard to do anything on here at this point. They they choked out my followers for a few days too. I was getting like a thousand followers a day, or 500, 400, 600 followers a day, and then I went to getting like ten for like four or five days, and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened again. I've never seen that. And they don't let me save my Instagram live videos anymore. So you have to go to the YouTube if you want to watch them after we get done. So please do that. Please do that. The YouTube thing is going to be cool. And then once we get enough people on the YouTube, we're going to start, um, we're going to start doing inst uh, not Instagram lives, but live videos on YouTube. YouTube lives. So please do that. I'm going to go through. I'm, I'm kind of doing this impromptu. What's up, House? Lori Hugh House. I don't know what to call you because I mean, it could be Lori, could be Hugh, could be House. Could be Hugh Laurie. I don't know. I didn't really think I was going to have time to do this feed, so I wasn't sure what I was going to talk about. But I've got plenty of plenty of ideas. Let's see. We can talk about artists and shows and movies. Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk. Let's talk about archetypes. We got friend of man in the building. He'll support me on this if we want to talk about archetypes. We'll talk about archetypes in modern media. In the conscious community, it's a sin to drink alcohol. I've found that out. People are really judgmental. Guys, we're, we're, we're conscious. Don't be judgmental. I know it's not a, I know alcohol is a poisonous and toxic and everything else, but you know everybody has their own Dharma, their own their own set of rules to live by, their own progress, their own process, their own sort of <clears throat> journey they have to go on. You know, I don't, I don't overindulge in alcohol the way I used to. Don't be mad. Yeah. I get more hate for the weirdest things. You know, for, for, for our community being the conscious community and being the, the community that's supposed to be the most full of love, light, understanding, and tolerance and all that, it's interesting that, like, there w there's still, like, this vestigial leftover aspect of us that is, uh, is you know, leftover from pre-consciousness time. And people, people can be pretty judgmental. I get, you know, it's it's crazy. It's so surreal to get hate on a post that you make about astronomy. Like you, you make a. I'm not really a drinker either, you know. I um, I used to drink heavily, you know, and then and then I woke up and started using cannabis occasionally and and psychedelics occasionally, and I don't feel the need to drink as much really, you know. But I still will have a beer every once in a while. And, you know, there is the reality of having a, you know, a, a whole family of people that like to get together socially and have a beer or whatever. 
So it, uh, it doesn't bother me to do that, but I don't get ripped the way that I used to. So, um, yeah. I forgot what I was saying before I got off on that. Oh, Sungaze is here. Real quick, I'll plug my friends. If you guys don't follow Sungaze, Sungaze has just beautiful, uplifting, a lot of naturalistic type uh, posts and stuff like that, but also other things too. Sort of philosophical, but but a lot of beautiful, earthy stuff. I, back when I used to do a, a much bigger auto auto tag, I had like a bunch of accounts that I would auto tag on every on every uh, uh, thing. I don't do that anymore because uh, I used to get um, <clears throat> a couple of people warned me that you can get banned for doing that. So I don't do it with everybody anymore. I just do it with my really close friends. But um, Sungaze has a, has a beautiful account that was very inspirational to me. And I used to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I used to auto tag Sungaze and uh, like Midnight underscore 33, I think, or I think Midnight Sun 33. I can't, I can't remember everybody, but there was about 20 some odd, like 20 people, I think, or 15 to 20 people that I would auto tag because like Kodiak 89 and uh, um, I don't remember, man, a bunch of people, but people that like if you visited my page and enjoyed my page, I figure you'll probably enjoy these people too. And these were the people that inspired me the most when I first started this account. And so now I just keep like my very closest friends on there. And I'm kind of regretting that. Sungaze, do you mind if I auto tag you? Like if I put you on all my posts on the on the at thing? Because I think people should see your page. I think that you've got a lot of uplifting naturalistic things. I'm going to pull up Sungaze's Instagram here. Everybody go subscribe to the YouTube. It's in my bio. The link is in my bio. If you have not subscribed, please go do. Okay, I'm going to look at Sungaze's page real fast. Just show like yeah. So the the most recent post on Sungaze's Insta on Sungaze's Instagram uh, page, it says, "I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples." That's just beautiful. I'm gonna repost that. I'm gonna steal that. That's just uplifting and beautiful. So you're getting added back to the auto tag thing. Reb Swirl, I am wonderful, man. I'm beautiful. I got to spend the day with my family. Had kind of a, a weird weekend, but I'm having a, a great day. Right Hand Path is another one. Right Hand Path used to be on my auto tags, too. I used to have Right Hand Path on my auto tags, but I, I that's another one that I took off because I was afraid that um, I would get banned or something. He only follows one person. Right Hand Path only follows one person. But that was one of my, my short list of people. Of all the 800 people I follow on Instagram, I had about 15 or 20 that were on my auto tags, and I put them on every single post, just copy-paste over from my notes and my phone. Um, Right-hand path is beautiful, too. But Sungaze joins my lives every once in a while, which I really appreciate the this, this support there. Um, Sungaze also said, we are, we are the gods of this world. We can create heaven on earth. But since most believe in a future heaven, we created hell instead. And that's so true. That's, oh, God. I don't know. I can't steal. I got to be careful and not just go through and like just steal all of like the last five posts from a single account. You know, Sungaze kind of makes you want to do that sometimes. Friend of Man does that. Project Knowledge does that. But that's a good one. We are gods of this world. We can create heaven on earth. But since most of us believe in a future heaven, we created hell instead. That's so true. If you if you believe that, that once you die, you're going to get to heaven, then what's the point in creating heaven here? You know, the cool thing about the conscious community is that we, uh, most of us tend to believe that we, we can create 
we can create heaven here. We can create a beautiful world here. And so we try to do that. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Okay. <clears throat> All right, guys. So we're going to roll into this. Um, and if you missed this, please go to the YouTube channel. It's in my bio. Please go to the YouTube channel. It's in my bio. Please go to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Uh, the more people we get over there, the more we can do in, uh, do YouTube lives instead of Instagram lives. And then I have a lot better ability to type to you, talk to you, um, you know, just and record it and save it and all that stuff as well. Sun Gaze, you gave me a shout out, man. Guys, listen. Listen, this is so important for me to say. Sun Gaze, Friend of Man, Project Knowledge, Dat Unruly Slave, several people. Um, when I started this, this thing, I got into this podcast because I, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to help people. I wanted to help people be happier, find happier stations in life, pursue the things that they enjoy more, to be more aware of their own emotions and their own, their own mentality, and to just live in a way that was more rewarding. And so the, the series that I've been working on here recently is, is also the name of one of the books I'm working on called Living Excited. And it's the idea that we don't have to wake up and and have this sort of humdrum attitude about life. And, and that, in fact, we really should have the opposite outlook. Because regardless of the situation we're in, if uh, if the sound of this message is falling on your ears, you can't have it as bad as some people do. And if you can't have it as bad as some people do, that means you have a whole lot to be thankful for. So we need to focus more on the things that we that we have and, and less on the things that we don't. But when I first started this account, Sungaze was one of the very first people that I saw that really inspired me with just beauty and, and putting a lot of... of, of Awesome, beautiful, uh, vibrant, brilliant things, things that were full of light. And so when I decided to really put a lot of effort into the Instagram, Sungaze was one of the most important accounts that I found. Friend of Man was one of my most inspirational, uh, one of my biggest inspirations early on and and remains to be so to this day, who you know, we've become friends. And uh, find people on Instagram that you enjoy, you know. Find people on Instagram that lift you up. Find people in the real world that lift you up. Find people all around you. And only surround yourselves uh, with an environment of uplifting and positive vibrance. That's really what it's about, you know? Don't don't have, uh, don't have be surrounded with negative people. They have a problem for every solution. Sun Gaze is not one of those people. Friend of Man is not one of those people. Um, if anybody on my auto tags at this point, if you see somebody on my auto tags, uh, Wolf Bullman, he's a big, crazy Viking guy. He lives in Norway. <laughs> He gave me a lot of support early on. Uh, Third Eye Navigator is an awesome guy. He, he's here in the States. And um, just a lot of a lot of good people, man. Build a community of people. That's what we're doing here. Build a community of people that lift you up and that are positive people. That's what we're here to do. Okay. That beer is amazing. I had some, we had a fish fry at my parents today. People ask me if I'm vegan. I'm, I'm headed that way. I really am. But um, part of what we're going to talk about, maybe tonight, but, but probably not tonight as much, probably more um, this week at some point, is, uh, is, is the fact that we, everybody has their own sort of, uh, like I said earlier, everybody has their own sort of rules that they need to live through or li live by in their own process they have to go through. And so, like for me, I... Um, I've reached an understanding, you know, a long time ago that like organic food was the only way to go. And so for the last eight or nine years, I've only 
tried to eat organic food as much as possible. But just with my lifestyle and working and traveling a lot, sometimes it's not always the easiest thing to do. So um, historically, you know, go to a restaurant, it's kind of hard to eat just organic. But you go to nice restaurants, you can usually find that. But then the last uh, year, I gave up cow's milk a year ago. I've always been a big milk drinker. And I stopped drinking uh, cow's milk about a year ago. I love almond milk. Um, but, you know, you talk to some people and almond milk's got all kinds of problems too. Uh, but then now Ashley's learning to cook vegan stuff. So we've had vegan enchiladas. We've had vegan food the last few days. Um, and largely we eat a lot of, you know, uh, mainly vegan and vegetarian stuff. But I come from a house where we eat a lot of steak too. So we've, uh, in the last six months, I've probably had four steaks, you know. But I'm getting to the point where red meat and chicken both just make me sick to eat them, you know. But I think that we have to get to a point. This is why I say everybody has their own dharma. Everybody has their own processes because, you know, sometimes you get to a point where you just can't eat something because it just grosses you out. Your body, your brain just won't let you eat it anymore. And everybody needs to go through that. So I think, as again, as part of the conscious community, I think we all need to be, we need to make it a point not to judge people or to be too harsh on people who are trying to go through a transformation in their lives. We need to be more supportive and start to understand that everyone goes through this transformation differently. And um, not everybody feels convicted to to stop eating eggs at the same time they stop drinking cow's milk, you know, or to stop eating chicken as soon as they stop eating red meat. I mean, it's a process, you know. There are a lot of different variables here. So we should do a better job of that. Go at your own pace, says K. Marie Portillo. I agree. Go at your own pace. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to go vegan and vegetarian for years. And like I just did, until you reach the understanding of, of the reality of things and it hits you at a deep level, it's kind of hard to just make the decision to start making your life more difficult by like cooking all this crazy stuff that nobody likes or that seems foreign to everybody. But once you reach the understanding of like what goes energetically, what goes into slaughtering a cow you know what really did it for me with the red meat was watching that video i posted a while back and you guys might have seen it on my page or somewhere else when there was like that baby calf in the back seat in the back of a truck like the bed of a truck with a dog and, and it was like the dog was like licking the baby cow on his face and it was so cute and like the cow turned and started nibbling on the dog's ear and you realize that this is basically the same two animals and i'm a dog guy i've got this dumb dog in my floor right now stinking up the whole room because he's all wet when i saw that video it just had an impact on me, and so eating red meat just doesn't it doesn't sit well with me anymore, you know. And then I saw a video the other day about menstruation, you know, about how every every female menstruates or how females menstruate once a month, and chickens do too, and it's called an egg, you know. And I was like, damn, I'm eating chicken menstruation, <laughs> you know. That's a uh, that's a uh, that's a hard thing to to deal with. I eat a lot of eggs, you know. But I, I grew up on a farm, you know. My, my parents still have a farm, and I'm, I'm hoping to have a farm again soon in the next few months. Uh, and a ranch, you know, with lots of animals. And you go out and you, you take care of your chickens and your animals and your goats and your cows and your llamas and your donkeys and all that stuff, and you, you love on them. They're part of the family. But, like, getting the chicken eggs doesn't ever strike you as being bad. But now thinking about eating chicken menstruation seems a little yucky, you know. Um... Sorry, plant-based says you can look at the other end of the spectrum, how much energy is used to turn food into energy. And that's important to, to understand, too. What I've found is that I enjoy salads, man. I, I really do, oddly enough. I love a salad with, a, you know, with some avocado on it and a bunch of just, you know, 
spinach and kale and lettuce and carrots. I, I was microdosing the other night and ate um, something, a salad that had some cilantro and some carrots in it, dude. And I started eating this stuff, and it was like this whole epic saga going on in my mouth. And it was like the carrots and the cilantro were just taking over everything. And it was just this beautiful, amazing combination of flavors and nutrients that was getting, um, it went straight to my third eye. And we keep carrot juice in the fridge and a bunch of other raw juices and stuff like that. I went in there and started drinking carrot juice and eating cilantro. It was probably quite a sight to see. But, you know, uh, eating right makes a big difference, man. And when I eat salads and stuff, I feel a lot better than I do when I eat any kind of meat. And so first we dialed back the red meat a lot. And then we dialed back even the chicken and stuff a lot. And um, I grew up hunting. And, you know, killing birds is never as much of a problem for me as killing other animals, you know. But... Uh, Again, everybody has their own conviction. So what I'm going to now is um, I'm, I'm about to buy a, a compound bow and get back into bow, bow hunting. I used to do that when I was younger. And I'm going to try to kill like one elk or something a year. That sits well with my soul just fine. You know, I don't, I don't relish in the idea of taking the life of another mammal, but I've never wanted to kill a deer. I've never wanted to kill an elk with a gun waiting on it to go get its breakfast at a deer stand or something. But I think that it, the, the feeling, um, you know, from providing a year worth of meat in one animal and then eating, growing all of our produce and all of our meals for the rest of the year, 90% of our own food we would grow and all that, that sits fine with me. People may judge me for that. And that, you know, it's none of my business what other people think. Um, JC suggested that I do a better job with the backdrop here. So I got a new situation going on back behind me. This astronaut here, his name is is Terrence. You guys can figure that out. And this is a picture frame that says, take a hike. And that's, that's me and Ashley and Braden and Jet um, in Sedona. We went hiking up in Sedona. And then we've got the, uh, we've got the dinner is coming. I don't know if you can see the wolf, the Game of Thrones cutting board, the dinner is coming thing. And then there's some castle or something from England, I think, like that, back behind me. Some Scottish castle or something, I assume. Uh, okay, that's it. Go to the YouTube. We're going to go, um, well, we're going to talk about archetypes tonight. But before we do that, just one last time, please go to the YouTube channel. Please go subscribe. Um, and let's build that follower base, too. The link is in my bio here on Instagram. I wanted to talk about archetypes because um, have you guys ever heard of Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson? He's a, uh, he's a psychologist from the University of Toronto. Well, I loved you. Bohana Bokika 87. I love you. Thank you very much. Um, oh, there's Wolf Bullman. There's the crazy Viking I was telling you about. He dives and swims in uh, Wolf his name is Kim. He dives in the, the Arctic Ocean. He lives up above the Arctic Circle. If you guys want to follow Wolf Bullman, he, uh, he takes pictures of the northern lights off his back porch and stuff, and he lives just a little, a little distance away from the shores of, of whatever ocean is up in the north of Norway or whatever. And he dives in there with a damn wetsuit on and swims around and then goes down to Africa and runs around with lions and shit. So follow him if you want positive stuff. He's full of love, man. So tonight we're talking about archetypes. All right, guys. Um, just so you know, I'm going to do my best to not pay attention to the 
Instagram. Well, okay, yeah, this is valid enough. Will I be talking about natural medicine soon? Yes, I'll be talking about natural medicine soon. Uh, that is high up my list to start talking about. So don't let me forget. Don't feel like you're bothering me. Remind me about that. Um, in the next week or two, I'm going to start getting into natural medicine a lot more. I've been really stuck on ancient civilizations a lot lately because everybody loves to talk about ancient civilizations. Oh, no. My other camera went off. Hold on. Let's see. All right. I think we're back on in the other camera. The other camera's weird. It cuts me off every so often. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into natural civil or natural uh, remedies and, and medicine and stuff soon. Ancient civilizations has been the big the big hotness here recently. I love you, Wolf, eternally as well. You flaming wolf alien. <laughs> um, hey, guys, my boo's in here. You guys, go follow Ash.Sension. That's my queen, my queen bee right there. Go follow her. She's a wonderful human being. Oh, and there's JC. You guys got to follow JC. He's my producer. He's sick right now. He's fighting the chemtrails. JC's fighting the chemtrails. They've got him down for like three days. He's been running like a 103 fever. Dying of the flu. Make sure you go follow JC. He cooks all kinds of amazing stuff. I'm trying to you know, get him fully motivated and inspired to go uh, do what he does best, which is to talk to people and cook amazing tasting food and entertain people in the process. Uh, so... All right, I'm not going to watch the questions a lot, so um, let's just be aware of that. It's not because I don't love you guys, because I totally do. But I'm gonna I'm gonna run through this, and then we'll do a Q and A at the end. We'll try to keep it relevant to the uh, to the topic of the day, if you can. Um, if you can't, then then email me or or DM me the questions that you have on Instagram, and like I will address them. Um, I've been trying to address people's questions. I don't always point it out when I do. But I, I try to point them out when I'm addressing someone's questions from one of the live feeds that I miss. So just DM it to me, and I'll try to get to it um, uh, as best I can. But today I wanted to talk about archetypes. Archetypes. Um, this is super important to me because I could get into religions a lot about... When we're talking about archetypes, I could really get into religions. But I'd like to keep it sort of um, focused on mythology. If you can think about mythology as being separate from religion, because mythology is more, more a matter of storytelling, right? Religion is a system of rituals and, and practices and traditions and things that you physically sort of do. Mythology is something that you can just read about. Something stories is storytelling. Um, and what you're doing with storytelling is you are using archetypes, uh, which is to say a set of characteristics that a person can relate with um, to tell a story. And what I've realized... I got on to, I mentioned Jordan Peterson earlier, and Jordan Peterson is a psychologist from the University of Toronto, and he, um, he kind of caught some heat and started gaining some traction on the public stage across the U.S., and um, all right, K-Marie just subscribed, excited to see the content. Thank you so much. I'm excited to get it to you. Uh, so Jordan Peterson caught some heat a couple years ago, maybe 18 months ago or so, um, at the University of Toronto. He's a professor, and... Uh, I won't go into what he caught heat about, but it was just politically incorrect. He's just being politically incorrect, which is fine by me. 
being politically correct is like literally the last thing on my priority list, right? It's it's the least important thing possible because it's just a cultural, it's a cultural regulation. It's not a, it's not an ethical or an or an innate moral obligation to be politically correct. And so anyway, but what what Jordan Peterson taught me about, uh, and he had just as much hand in waking me up as anyone else ever has. But what Jordan Peterson taught me about was that uh, there is truth in mythology. There's truth in storytelling. So growing up, I was always big on on mythology. I you know did a report on Greek mythology and Alexander the Great and a bunch of other stuff when I was like in fifth grade or something. But I was always fascinated from the time I was five or six years old with Greek and Roman mythology, Native American mythology, especially Norse mythology. Um, you know, I named my dog Thor after all. Hausen. That's Thor. So that is you know that's where I'm at with mythology. It's always been a been something I enjoy. And, but Jordan Peterson helped me to take it to another level of understanding and getting that, that there's a reason why mythology exists. What I realized over time, thanks to my kids and my own analysis of, of the way that media works and the way that TV shows and Hollywood and all that stuff works, is that, <laughs> Shay, you asshole. <laughs> so a friend of man would post and, and try to distract me in the middle of, of a thought here and say that he found some interesting info on Lemuria because he knows that I'm obsessed with Lemuria. And here I am trying to talk about mythology and he wants to distract me with something that I find the most interesting of anything out there. You're the worst friend ever. Friend of man, not friend of Adam. All right, I'm moving on, but tell me about it later. Well, we'll do it in the Q&A if somebody wants to know about it. I'm sure they do. But Jordan Peterson, so, oh, it's mythology. Oh, wow. Okay. We'll get in. Okay, we'll get into that later. Tell me more about it. Um, but realizing that that modern day mythology is, uh, or modern day media, modern day movies and TV shows and books, it is mythology. These these are archetypes that we understand. My seven year old reads the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books, and I've seen some of the shows and read some of the books with him. And uh, the uh, the fact is is that. that we write stories so that they resonate with someone. You know, as a writer, as a songwriter, and, and somebody who's who's looked into writing books and, and started doing enough of that myself, I, it wasn't until I started to try to do it myself that I realized that we that's why we write. That's why we create art. It's because we want it to resonate with people. We want to express what's going on inside. And if you've ever seen a really bad movie, you know that, that uh, they do exist. But the reason why a bad movie is bad is because it doesn't resonate with you. There's something about it that doesn't work. So this comes from one of three things. One is not so re relevant to the point, but the but but that's uh, bad acting. Like you know, if you if you don't like a movie, if you find a bad movie and you don't enjoy it, you think it's a crappy movie, could be bad acting. That's not really relevant to the point. The other relevance is, um, or the other other reason why you might not like a, a movie, what makes a shitty movie, is bad writing. But what is bad writing really? And that's what I'm interested in. Bad writing is either a bad storyline that lacks balance or it's unrealistic archetypes. That's what, that's what makes a bad movie or a good movie. If a movie is good, then you have balance. And what that means is, you know, I always use Game of Thrones as an example because um, a dude that wrote it, um, God, I can't believe I don't remember his name right now. Anyway, uh, you know, he obviously understands the, the geometry of mythology, the, the geometry of storytelling, the, 
the 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 balance of truth and how to present truth and balance in a in a in a um, a relatable way, and so uh, whenever you have something George R R Martin, yeah, I, I I knew it was something like J R R Tolkien, but it was George R R Martin. But if you have something bad happen to a person, imagine a graph. If you have something bad happen to a character that you like, right? At some point in the story, that person needs a vindication. So if you have you know, your, your x-axis here, and you have something negative that happens to this person. You want to see something positive happen to that person. So if it's a negative one, like their dog gets shot, or maybe that's a negative two, then you want to see a positive two. You want to see some sort of redemption come out of that later on. And so bad storytelling is going to come from, first of all, imbalance in the storyline, which means that you have a lack of redemption for wrongs that were done to people, or you have a lack of justice for people who did things wrong. And so this kind of came out to me the other night whenever, if you guys have not seen the movie Watchmen, um, that's uh, the, I think, a DC Universe story, um, comic story. It may be one of the most perfect representations of archetypes that I've ever seen from the comic book world. It's just amazing. You have like this one dude that's uh, he's a he's a scientist, so he's very very smart, and he gets turned into this essentially an all-knowing, all-powerful being that can like transport nuclear reactors from New York to the South Pole with the blink of an eye. He can replicate himself 50 times, and everybody's working on you know nuclear fission experiments and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. He can take apart a uh, you know like a Panzer tank bolt by bolt with a thought in an instant, and then reassemble it and crumple it up. This is an archetype of a human being. This is the all all knowing, all powerful human being we'd all like to be. Uh, you got another guy in there, Rorschach, that is is troubled and haunted by his own demons of his past, right? Which is part of most of us can relate or resonate with some part of that. He's had horrible things happen to him as a young kid. He's had horrible things happen to him as an adult. He's seen kids get murdered. He's seen all kinds of terrible stuff. And so Rorschach is damaged goods, but he is is good to his core with a really rough exterior, right? You see him, he's brutal, he's tough, he's, you know, he's all this stuff, but he is good to his very core to the point that he's willing to die to do what is right. And then by the end of the movie, spoiler alert, skip ahead or plug your ears for 20 seconds. You were warned. It's the hero's journey. Yeah. Shay is doing... Shay is... Yeah, friend of man. The hero's journey. You're exactly right. Uh, but by the end of the movie, what you end up with... Is, and this is when I realized that, that a bad movie comes out of imbalance. Is that when Ashley and I were watching this, she'd never seen it. And by the end of it, there's a, there's a dude that does something kind of reprehensible, kind of really, really horrible... And inhumane, but he did it for the greater good. But Ashley really struggled with the fact that he was going to get off scot free for doing this thing, even though it, even though it worked in favor of the greater good. She really wanted to see this guy pay for it. By the end of the movie, the guy paid for it um, in the very last few moments of the movie. But that's when I realized that that's what we need. Is in a good movie, there has to be balance between good and evil, between light and dark, between between. Um, justice for the wicked and redemption for the righteous, right? And that led me to <laughs> the Parks and Parks and Recreation. Have you guys ever seen Parks and Recreation? 
on, uh, I don't know, I, I watch it on Netflix. If you've never seen it, then um, I don't know what to tell you. But Parks and Recreation is probably the best, probably the best show to demonstrate archetypes. Um, just like Watchmen is great uh, in terms of movies, it's a little bit darker and grittier. But Parks and Rec is great because what you'll see is what happens when a person of a certain type, a person who exhibits certain character traits and certain personality uh, personality flaws or personality virtues, when they do something, something happens. And they, and they exhibit truth pretty well, right? Because again, we know that when, it, when, it, when you see a good movie, the storyline is realistic and, and relatable, and the archetypes are relatable and realistic too. And, you know, um, I hate to jump around so much, but just to give another example, I saw a movie the other day, Valerian, where this one guy does a bunch of good things the whole movie, and he's really hardcore, and he's seen a lot of bad things happen. He's a pretty reasonable dude. And then at the end of the movie, he does something that was kind of dumb. It wasn't very realistic. It wasn't very relatable. And he, like, I don't know, he just he did something. He trusted somebody he shouldn't have trusted, if you know how that character type works. And that's, it wasn't a bad movie. It was a great movie. But that's just one example of how a particular character can be written in a way that's not realistic. And he doesn't act in a, in a, in a plausible way. And so what, what Parks and Rec does very well. The other day I was watching with my kids. They love to watch that show. And Jerry in that show is like this, this kind of you know, big, fat, goofy dude. Like late middle-aged dude. But he's got like the hottest wife ever and like these three beautiful daughters and this amazing home life and all this stuff. But everybody picks on him. He doesn't have a whole lot of spectacular talents that are like in the forefront as far as that apply to his job working in the parks and recreation department. And so everybody makes fun of him. Everybody gives him a hard time. And like, damn it, Jerry is like, it's like you killed Kenny on South Park. It's a constantly a thing. But everybody's confused on the show how Jerry got the wife that he got and why she's so beautiful. Why is he this big, you know, dumpy, goofy guy and, and no one gets it. And I was trying to explain this to my kids, how the archetypes here are trying to tell a story is that Jerry in the show Parks and Rec, he is, uh, he may be a big goofy guy at work, you know, and he may not be the best looking guy. He may not be the, the most fit, you know, but one thing is that he's always positive. Jerry's always positive at work in this show. No matter who makes fun of him or who does what, he just smiles and laughs and he's like, all right, guys, you know, it's all in good fun, you know. But he chooses to make the best of every situation that he can. He chooses not to take offense to what people say. And he doesn't make himself a doormat so much as he genuinely just isn't bothered by it. And then why is he not bothered by it? He's not bothered by it because he goes home to a beautiful, beautiful, loving wife and beautiful, healthy daughters and he has this amazing life at home. Also come to find out, Jerry is an amazing painter. And he's an amazing pianist. And he has some other skills. I don't remember. But this is this is an archetype of the ideal person you want to be if. Right? Jerry Gergich is the ideal character you want to be if. And what is the if? Uh, I had this conversation the other day with a, with a philosophy student about... Um, should we tell people what they should do? Uh, that was kind of his question to me. Should, should rich people give their money to poor people, I think was his question. But my response was, we shouldn't tell people that they should do anything. Their, their should is always associated with an if. And the idea here 
is that is that uh, maybe you shouldn't live like Jerry from Parks and Rec, but you should if, right? Associate that should with an if. You should act like Jerry and live your life in that way if you want to have a happy personal life. So you may go to your office job, and you may not have all the skills in the world at your office job, uh, and you may not be the most popular guy there. You may get picked on. But if you choose to be positive about, er about everything that you deal with, and if you choose to overlook the flaws in other people and try to be supportive and, and be a positive person in general, if you forgive people for things that they might do or say that, that cross you a little bit, uh, and if you live your life in that way, you're likely to be the kind of person who goes home to the happiest personal life imaginable. And along the way, the truth is that you may also have some other abilities that go unrecognized by people. And that is, uh, that's the truth of Jerry Gergich's character from Parks and Rec that makes, that, that's so beautiful, is that if you want to be like that guy, on the surface, you wouldn't think you want to be him because, you know, for the first couple seasons, all you see is that he's the goofy, chubby guy that always gets made fun of. But a couple seasons in, you see, but because he's always positive, because he's a loving person, because he's intelligent and he, he goes home and learns to play piano and do art and everything else, he's got this beautiful, beautiful wife, beautiful family and all this stuff. Um, Ron Swanson and the other Ron in Parks and Rec. Two more people. Ron Swanson, very, very simplistic, scotch-drinking, Lagavulin scotch fan, um, libertarian, believes in small government, uh, thinks the, the government is robbing everyone when they take taxes, which happens to be the way that I feel. Uh, not a very spiritual guy, very much into working with his hands, uh, big into hunting, uh, lives off of steak and potatoes. He doesn't eat vegetables at all because he doesn't eat the food that his food eats, he says. This is an archetype of a person, and a lot of people may know a Ron Swanson, right? My dad's a Ron Swanson. He lives off steak. He works with his hands. He, he's a woodworker. He's building all kinds of stuff out of cedar. <laughs> At any given time, you come by my dad's house, he's in his shop working on some kind of cedar wood project, um, and he makes a better steak than anybody and brisket and all kinds of meat, and he has more guns than anybody I know. So this is obviously an archetype of a human being. And so what you see in mythology and what you see... Um, typologically, when you when you look at a, a Parks and Recreation or a Watchman, is what happens when these different character traits interact? What happens when you have a Ron Swanson and a Leslie Nope? Again, you have to see Parks and Recreation to know what I'm talking about there. But whenever you when you have these different archetypes interacting with each other, or you have particular sets of traits interacting with each other, what happens? And that's what truth is. Right, we're we're really wrapped up a lot of times in talking about what we should do, and I think the bigger question is, if we do something, what will happen? Right, a should and an if. Well, you should do this if you want that. Right, should a rich person give all their money to poor people? Maybe. Right, but there's always an, there's always an if attached to that should, and when you make considerations about decisions in your life, you should always consider what is the if attached to the should. Should I do this? Well. I should do this if I want this outcome, right? So if you say that I should give my money, if I'm rich, I should give my money to, to poor people. Maybe I should. But maybe, maybe I give, if I have $10 million to give, maybe I give that $10 million and then I have $10 million that I've given away to the poor people. But if 
so so I should give ten million dollars away to, to to charities if I want charities to have ten million dollars cash in their hands, right? There's a should and an if. But I should save my money and reinvest it into my companies and do other things with it and build it up to $100 million so that in 20 years I can have $90 million to give away to charities. I should save my money and reinvest it if I want to have $90 million instead of 10. And this is a big, a big thing that happens when you, when you are participating in philosophical or political or religious or cultural or psychological or any, any kind of discourse with anyone. We're always like, no, you should do this. I mean, this is really the, this is the the fervency that different that different political parties and different philosophical groups and religious groups are are, are participating in. This is like, you should do this. This is the right way to do it. Well, this is Sam Harris, uh, UCLA philosopher and neuroscientist, talks about the moral landscape. Right. Well, it's not always a yes and no. It very rarely is a yes and no question of what you should do in your life. But if you do this, then you will have this. And that's the key, is trying to do the right thing to make sure that you get the right result. And mythologies, I find, are probably the best way to teach that. Probably the best way that you can go about teaching someone what will happen whenever an archetype of one kind interacts with an archetype of another. You can't do it in a mathematical formula in a way that a five-year-old can understand, or a 10-year-old, or most 30-year-olds. So if you want to teach somebody how to, how to act, if you want to teach your kids or an entire civilization of people how to act, then... The media is a good way to do that. To do that through storytelling is the best way to do that. To do that through art and song, but especially the mythology of, of storytelling or the storytelling of mythology is how you would best do that. And I could tie this into ancient civilizations, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But if you guys want to remind me later, we can. But this is obviously why I believe that, that ancient civilizations had no written language in a lot of cases is because you can't write this stuff down and do it any justice. You can tell a story. My kids have never written down the script to the Avengers movies or any Marvel movie or any superhero movie, but they can tell you like shot by shot, you know, screen by screen, what goes on in any Avengers movie or any Marvel movie. And I think that's why mythology is so important. And it's probably why we didn't have any written language in a lot of cultures back in the day is is that the more that you focus on mythology and rely on mythology for your um you know to teach lessons to especially to your young people but really to for everybody to live by the less you need a lot of other written stuff so i guess the bottom line is what i would encourage you guys to do is the next time you watch a movie the next time you watch a tv show start stop looking at, at characters as these um you know, sort of fictional characters or whatever. Look at them as true archetypes of humanity and see if you know anybody that acts in a certain way um, or, or that acts in the same way that a certain character does, right? Maybe you relate with, and again, another another thing about Parks and Recreation is I think if, anyone, if anybody watches that show, there's at least one or two or three characters that like everybody can relate with. You know, they're like, I'm part Tom and part Donna and part, you know, whatever. And then you see like the balance of like, Certain characters are, are not that outstanding, but they're sort of the balancing point, like the fulcrum that holds the whole thing together. So it's really interesting. I think you guys ought to, ought to look at that. That's really what I wanted to do. Uh, JC and I are going are gonna to do some movie reviews, uh, TV show reviews and stuff like that about typologies and mythology and archetypes. Because 
understanding this and then teaching this stuff to your kids and even understanding it yourself and then analyzing it and trying to live your life in accordance with these, these the truths that these mythologies sort of reveal um, is really a cool way to go through life. And then you can start to develop an appreciation for um, the purity, the pure truths of, of religion and start to identify where the bullshit obviously came in. And then you can help religious people start to identify that stuff too. And I've had this happen with some people who, str who were struggling with religion and they... They knew that it was bullshit. They knew there was stuff in there that didn't make sense. They knew we shouldn't throw gay people off roofs or ban women from coming into you know a temple or a church service once a month or whatever. Um, they knew that it didn't make sense to, for a, a, a loving God to tell a man to kill his own son. Like This stuff didn't make sense. But if you don't understand typologies, if you don't understand mythology and archetypes, then you better hope that you're really smart really good at living life without any sort of template and that you're never going to encounter someone who's any different than you. But as long as we live in a world where, where people aren't perfect at living their lives, and most of us are not, and we don't really have a great guide system or a great template to live by, then we need to understand that, that, that mythology continues to be generated today, continues to be created and live on the stories that have been told for thousands of years th throughout the human story are still being told today in archetypes and my kids can identify it because I pointed it out to them and kids can pick it up so much quicker than most adults. If you just teach your kids, teach yourself, teach your you know, younger siblings, teach people in general that, um, that really what, what you can gain from these mythologies, these modern mythologies and movies and stories and, and books is understanding archetypes and understanding what happens when they collide. That's that on archetypes. That's it for the night. Thanks for listening. We'll do a Q&A. If you guys want to get into anything around mythologies or archetypes or any of that stuff, go ahead. Uh, if not, namaste, Brooklyn. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll, we'll do Q&A now. All right, let's see. A Hero of a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell. I think that book is a good book on archetypes. I agree with you. Awesome. I appreciate that, man. I've not read that. Um, if you would DM that to me, that well, you know what? Hold on. I'll type it in. Any Q&A for anybody? Hero of a Thousand Faces. Uh, I would recommend Jordan Peterson greatly by Joseph Campbell. Okay, so Alfred wants to know, where would I place myself politically? Um, so I, I think that, uh, I, I I mean, I, yeah, Jordan Peterson, uh, I was talking about him earlier. Uh, he's, so I, I want to say this because it kind of makes me happy to say. I've always said Sam Harris is my left brain. Sam Harris, UCLA neuroscientist, philosopher, intellectually like one of my heroes, top heroes. He's my left brain. Graham Hancock is my right brain. Much more spiritual, much more open-minded, much more... I mean, he's a very discerning dude, and he's a very serious academic dude, but a lot more open-minded and, and spiritual and open to love and light and, and that kind of thing. And Jordan Peterson is sort of my balance in between. Jordan Peterson is a dude that understands symbolism. That's what the right brain does. Right brain understands symbolism and love and imagination and spirit. Left brain understands 
um, calculations and math and science and evidence and uh, empiricism, literalism, all that stuff. So Sam Harris is my left brain. Graham Hancock is my right brain. And Jordan Peterson is as close to my midbrain balance as I could as I could find. So those three people I would recommend. But I would recommend them in those in within the, those confines. Um, politically, I would say I. Uh, oh no, my battery went dead on my other camera, guys. That's a sad day. So the podcast, the 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 recorded podcast stops here. Now that we know that, um, politically, I. I am um, economically, man, I'm pretty far right. Economically, I'm a, I'm a business owner. I come from a family of business owners and I've worked in, um, I've worked for people. I've worked in, I've been a cashier at Walmart. I've worked in the gym business, being a salesman and being a sales manager and a general manager and moving my way up from there. Um, I've worked on computers for a living. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've owned an IT company and a marketing company and a consulting agency and I think, you know, it's helped me to realize that, like, economically, liberals just don't have it together. And there's a reason why, like, I did the research, like, 19% of business owners are liberals. And it's because, and I would argue that, like, even within those within those 19% of business owners that are liberals, they're only liberals because they, they adhere to and subscribe to and believe in and support liberal policies on the social side. Um... Otherwise, you'd probably have like 5% of business owners that were liberals, right? And those five business owners wouldn't be very solid business owners. Because once you've been in that position where like you you know what it's like to be the grunt on the front lines doing the work, digging ditches, you know, um, welding steel to other pieces of steel on tilt wall buildings, you know, um, using spray machines to coat cardboard boxes and corrugated crates to ship them out, you know, across the country or manufacturing concrete surfacing um, with stamped and imprinted templates or working on someone's computer that's bitching at you. Like you've got to do a lot of that stuff. And once you've done that and then you, you move your way up to the point where you're, you own businesses and you have employees that you care about, you realize that the whole, the whole liberal view on economics is fucking crazy. It's just non-existent. Um, so economically, uh, I'm, I'm very much a capitalist, and I think that capitalism works when you do it right. Um, socialism just doesn't. But, you know, we, we live in a place where conservatives, like, if to be a conservative, you've got to be, um, you got to be in favor of, like, keeping people from experimenting with their own consciousness. You've got to be, you know, you've got to want to be um, the kind of person that tells people how to live their lives when it comes to doing things in their own home uh that's crazy you know or trying to ban people from getting married i mean i'm a, I'm a libertarian if i had to put myself anywhere i'm a libertarian that's as close as i can come to it i hate putting labels on it but um i don't know a lot of i'm a ron paul guy you know i think gay people should get married all they want but i don't think that the government should have anything to do with marriage in the first place you know what i mean i think that people should be able to smoke pot and do whatever else they want to do I think people should be able to do anything they want to do. They're not hurting anybody. Um, I don't believe in victimless crimes. I don't think that a crime is a crime if it's victimless. And um, uh, I think that the, the condition of our country in terms of where we're at with policing and and the whole criminal system and the judicial system is is so far out of whack that it's hard to even talk about um, about it without getting into a whole 
a whole deep conversation. Um, that's where I'm at politically, if that makes any sense. People should be able to do whatever the hell they want to do. The government's way too big. It shouldn't be this big. Government has way too many responsibilities today. They shouldn't have that many responsibilities. Ron Paul said, you know, I want to get rid of the IRS and the Fed. And I don't mean fiddling with the code. I mean, you know, getting rid of them and replacing them with nothing. That's where I'm at. Um, Alfred, take care, man. Thank you very much. Uh, so a friend of man says, what about the flood myth? Um, gosh, which one? I mean, there's a, there's just a billion, you know, the Hopi, the, the Navajo, the Maya, the Egyptian, you know that more than anybody. We, um, what, I, what I'm digging into right now, what I actually made a note of earlier, Shay, was, um, I never looked much into, so since I was a little kid, I was reading about the uh, the Indian mounds. Hold on. I'm crazy curious to know if this camera has a battery, has a battery cable somewhere that I could plug in. I don't know if it does or not. That's so sad. That's so sad. I don't know why it's out. Anyway. Um, I used to read about the flood myths and stuff when I was little, and, um, I haven't been as interested in, in the, uh, the, the Indian mounds, but I think, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to dig back into that, that spreadsheet that I was making, that, that graph, that chronology of different flood myths and different global disasters, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes and stuff like that, where I've been sort of trying to aggregate all this data from all the civilizations of the last few thousand years from the Chinese and the, um, the, uh, the, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, everybody, the, uh, the, the monks and bishops and stuff of like, you know, the post, uh, Roman empire era and stuff like that around Europe, African stories from the Dogon and the Zulu and all those guys too. And try to start correlating disasters in different areas um, with the rise and fall of different civilizations. So I've been trying to do that for a while. But uh, I'm going to get back into the um, into the the mound builders of the Ohio River Valley and stuff like that here in the States. Because I think those guys, I just found out today that those guys, their civilization kind of just popped up and they started building mounds at exactly the same time that the Greeks did. Which is crazy. So, I'm going to start looking more into that. But the Younger Dryas myths, I mean, I think, I mean, that's something that's pretty obvious to you and I, but for anybody who's not aware of all that, I mean, the Younger Dryas period was uh, about a 1,200-year period at the end of the last Ice Age where, <coughs> excuse me, where um, the, the Earth was getting nice and, and warm. It was warming up. And hold on one second. At least I'm still doing the audio recording. Uh, the Earth was warming up at the end of the last ice age. It was just getting warmer and warmer and warmer and warmer for like 20, 30,000 years. And then all of a sudden, it just, pfft, global temperatures just plummeted. The Earth just dove back into the ice age full bore. And, and then for about 1,200 years, it kind of just hung there and then it started to warm up again. And at the end of that period, I mean, no one really knew what caused that period and no one knew um, what caused us to come out of it because, you know, um, I mean, theoretically, if you have an ice age 
it should be self-perpetuating because once the ice freezes and the temperatures drop and all that stuff, it shouldn't change. Um, but uh, 11,500 years ago or so, 9,500 BC, which is right at the same time that Plato's Atlantis story took place, which was 9,000 9, years before the time of Solon, who was Plato's ancestor that got the Atlantis story uh, on a trip to Egypt. During that time, uh, they're now finding all kinds of impact proxies and evidence that there was some sort of a meteor or a, a comet impact on the northwestern um, uh, section of the, of, of the United States. And there was a, a tremendous amount of flooding and stuff that happened there. I mean, you really just got to look into the work of like Randall Carlson um, and Graham Hancock. There's some others, but those are, that's just a great, great place to start for that. But a lot of the legends and stuff that you get out of, out of the Native Americans at that time tell perfect stories about how that happened. And they all match up very well with the Popol Vuh uh, from the Mayans and uh, Navajo le legends, which I've read and talked to Navajo elders about, uh, Hopi Indians, even some of the Shawnee Indians and the Chippewa Indians, Apache Indians, Caddo Indians. We have these all over my area. Um, and I've talked to these people for a lot, a lot of years of my life. And never put the dots together until the last five or six years. That there's a, a really interesting story about the flood myths and stuff like that. But I think there was another flood like 3,500 years ago. Like 1500 BC. And I think that there are a lot of the, the myths um, that we hear about floods weren't necessarily just the Atlantis myth. And I think that the, the Atlantis myth may not necessarily be one of the farthest ones back. So... Friend of man says that Tamil mythology shines a light on the inundation of Lemuria. Um, okay, real quick, I've got 50 seconds left on the Instagram live feed. I'm still on the audio feed. I'm gonna go ahead and and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up, guys. Um, and then we're gonna pick up with this here soon. But if I if I get into this Tamil mythology thing, first of all, go subscribe on the YouTube channel. Please go subscribe on the YouTube channel. We we'll get more people there. Uh, we're going to be in much better shape. And it, the uh, you can subscribe by going to the link in my bio here on Instagram. Uh, friend of man, go follow him if you're into ancient civilizations. He does as deep and thorough research as anybody I know, and he talks about Tamil mythology shining a light on the inundation of Lemuria. Can't wait to hear more about that, Shay. Thank you very much, and. That's all I got, man. I appreciate you guys so much. We hit 10,000 followers today, and I'm so stoked about that. Keep it going. Appreciate you guys. May the light be upon you. May peace be within you. May you be a son on the paths of all men. Love you guys. Have a great weekend. Can our kingdom really fall? And if it can, then can we?